You're listening to The Served Up Show, a podcast that features inspiring beverage professionals and topic experts that share their passions through meaningful content. Your hostesses, Bridget Albert, is best known as the Market Fresh Mixologist, an industry mentor with over 25 years of experience. And I'm Julie Milroy, best known for my passion for leading change and helping others grow in their careers. Grab a cocktail and sit back. Let's learn how we can make a positive impact in our industry. Hi there, Served Up community. Julie here. I am so excited to introduce you to one of the original horse soldiers of the U.S. Army Green Beret, Scott Neal, also Chief Operations Officer, a.k.a doer of all things at Horse Soldier Bourbon. Scott shares his story of how he went from the U.S. Special Forces to then inspiring veterans to become entrepreneurs, which led him to meeting his mentor and creating Horse Soldier Bourbon, which, by the way, just received double gold for each one of the three SKUs at the San Francisco World Spirits Competition 2022. As we pay our respects to those who served and continue to serve, I am thankful for Scott, Coco, Elizabeth, and the Horse Soldier family for sharing their story and the stories of many others. Now sit back, grab a glass of Horse Soldier bourbon served up, and get inspired. Welcome to Served Up. Julie and I are truly honored and excited to have you on the show today. Well, thank you very much. I'm excited too. I always like a good talk. I think uh, no good story ever started over a salad. So if we uh, in virtual land, we all had a bourbon. Uh, that's how you start good storytelling. Absolutely. We will have that glass of bourbon with you. Scott, can you tell us how you wound up in the beverage industry? Wow. As a lifelong consumer, right, how this really started is, um, without going too far back, I had retired out of the military and I had done some work and I worked with the Green Beret Foundation and I designed a program to help Green Berets become entrepreneurs. And part of the reason that was necessary is because the war was still going on and a lot of Green Berets, their only job opportunity was to go back to conflict and be a government contractor. And I said, all right. How do you pay millions of dollars of training? We have more training than a fighter pilot. And when you get out, you don't believe that you can pursue a business outside of this. So I did a fundraiser in New York City. I raised a tremendous amount of money. And on the stage, I said, I quit. And if I can't walk off the stage and start a business and follow these tenets on how to become an entrepreneur and own a business, you deserve your money back. So the first step is to go find somebody and ask them to be a business mentor. And that person was John Coco. And John was a previous generation Green Beret and worked for other government agencies, but came very successful in the insurance business in Louisville. I didn't know that. You didn't know that. (laughs) Yes, Louisville. See the circles, right? The hidden circles. Mm -hmm. And so first thing is, John, you know, I knew he was very successful. He had, you know, started businesses, took them public, took them private, sold them, built businesses, sold them again. Right. The right. Perfect mentor. He understand my he understood my military past and what my desires were. So he says, 
you know, I'll be your business mentor, but every summer I spend a few months in Yellowstone. And when I get back, let's sit down and have a conversation. And I said, Yellowstone, I've never been. So he told me about how he loved to fly fish and just climb the Tetons and do things. And I said, well, I'm unemployed. Can I come with you? And so the adventure began. So we brought my wife and uh, his wife, Elizabeth, who's part of the business. And um, we climbed the Tetons. We drank at the Million Dollar Saloon. We did everything a tourist would do in the Yellowstone. And we did a 10-day horse and mule train through the thoroughfare, which is up the Yellowstone River. And at the end of the 10 days, we gave the horses back and we got in our truck and we're driving out the back gate. And we saw our first craft distillery sign that said free tours and tastings. So it was the Tetons distillery and we stopped in and it was a husband and wife distillery. The wife had a small bar. First thing she does is pour a bottle of vodka on the bar itself. And it starts to evaporate. She goes, see, this is what good vodka should do. And we're like, huh? Don't waste that. You know, we've been in the trail for 10 days. We're ready to drink you out. And so we spent that whole day trying their vodkas, rye vodka, weeded vodka, potato vodka, potato flake vodka. Then the husband said, would you like to see the still? So we became so captivated because it was just a great experience that we went back to the uh, house uh, John was renting and we actually checked out and we spent three weeks going to every craft distillery we could Google from Utah back to Tampa. And when we got back to Tampa, John's mom said, you drunks need a hobby. So John. Oh my goodness. See, so what we saw though was lenses of curiosity. Elizabeth was in the perfume and skincare. So she loved the label the bottle, the branding, the t-shirt. Tell me about your story. What kind of font do you use? Cocoa is very simple. How much does it cost you to make it and how much do you sell it for? How much is your initial investment in there? How much does that equipment cost? I am by far the idiot was like, okay, so you show up at five in the morning, you turn the switch and you do X, Y, and Z and it makes delicious yummy. This is awesome. And, um, We had so much fun that we told our friends we served with. And one of our friends, Mark, who was the commander of the horse soldiers, served with a British Royal Marine that just opened a brand new Scotch distiller in Scotland. So we decided to go to Scotland. We were invited by members of the royalty because it was a queen's 90th birthday to be part of her uh, procession at the military royal tattoo at Edinburgh Castle. And that's where all the bagpipe players, the entire, um, I don't know if you want to call it kingdom, queendom, royalty place stuff comes in and plays for. And so it was just such a good time. But that's also where the beginning of the Scotch Trail was. So we took whiskey classes. We went to all of the distilleries that most of us know about from McAllen to Glenfiddich to Glenmorange to all the way up to Wolfburn, which is in the northernmost city of Scotland. And Andrews, his name, Andy, put us to work for a few weeks. And we actually turned on the stills in the morning, mashed in the grains, you know, did the distillation, uh, then did the barrel room and the bottling line. So we did all aspects. And our background leads us to ask a thousand questions. Why do you do this? Why do you do that? It's like a bad kindergarten parade, right? Why do you do that? Why do you turn this on? Why does this do this? How hot has it got to be? Why has it got to be that hot? 
And so that experience, we came home, told some more friends, and somebody asked a question, what is the difference between scotch and Irish whiskey? Well, I don't know. Let's go find out. So we went to Ireland and somebody introduced us to the Teeling brothers who had just sold Kelbagan, which is the world's oldest functioning distillery and restarted Teeling in Dublin. So now we have more of a focus. It was like, okay, tell me about the business. Tell me how you build a new distillery. How do you choose a master distiller? What is this tasting room? How come you don't have a restaurant here? So we just got more and more and we came home and uh, I think all of us was just so fascinated. We were introduced to another veteran owned distillery in Indiana called um, Hotel Tango, Travis Barnes. And we saw this kind of underlying veterans kind of in the business. And uh, then we went and started into Kentucky and we started all the way from the chairman of Brown Foreman to working in warehouses in Kentucky to working alongside master distillers. So that was 2015. In 2016, we said, hey, let's start to form a business. Let's just make a few barrels. What we don't drink, we'll sell, right? And that's every, you know, craft to building a brand's, you know, kind of goofy tagline, you know, what we don't drink, we'll sell. So we started um, with a partnership. We didn't have the money to build our own distillery yet. And so we started uh, with a partner in Ohio. He had just left Maker's Mark, uh, partnered with the Abercrombie and Finch folks, and they wanted to build a distillery. And they didn't have um, enough of their brand being sold that they had excess capacity. So we started putting barrels away, barrels away. And then we were notified that somebody was going to make a movie about us. And so that movie was called 12 Strong about the original days of us in the military after 9-11, which not too many people knew about, right? So we didn't go around with this on our chest like a celebrity brand. Hey, we're famous. You know, we need to find a partner distillery and make some stuff and we'll promote it on Twitter. No, it was all organic. It was just a bunch of friends who served together and wanted to. So we didn't even know what we were going to call our bourbon until finally... The movie was made. We really didn't participate in it. Nobody got anything for it. Imagine Chris Hemsworth plays, you know, you or, you know, you got a stat, you got all these things and you're like, eh, who cares? Well, then somebody said, well, what are you going to call your bourbon? And we didn't know. We didn't know if we're going to call it Rock Creek or Horses Bend. The hardest part about this business, believe it or not, is finding the intellectual um, positioning of the name of your brand. You know how many whiskey spirit brands there are in the world starting from a hundred years ago that are captured and you can't use. And luckily somebody said, why don't you call it horse soldier? We're like, ah, oh, there's no way. There's absolutely no way we could ever, you know, have the ability to claim that name and use it. And lo and behold, fate, we could. So we took some of our very first bourbon we made um, and we put it in a bottle and we took it to the red carpet premiere in New York city and we partied like it was 1999 with all the stars of the movie. And we found out that you probably shouldn't have done that because we didn't even know what a distributor was. We didn't even know what retail was. We literally had no clue about the other side of the business. And the next day from the red carpet premiere is when we were introduced to what a distributor is off of high recommendations that we probably need one. 
And that began our journey to sell for the first time horse soldier bourbon in the state of Florida. Is that long-winded? Is that just wow? What you think? So that's the beginning of that's the middle. It's like a good Quentin Tarantino movie where you start, you know, halfway through and you're like, what the heck just happened? And then it starts playing backwards. That is an incredible story. I mean, every piece of it, like, you know, just you wanting to empower our mm-hmm. veterans. Right. And and like you said, millions of dollars of training you should be able to come and do anything. And and the fact that uh, just rebuilding that confidence to to really go out there and then showing that it can be done is absolutely incredible. The whole story in general. Tell us a little bit more for those that don't know. What is a horse soldier? What is a horse soldier? Well, a horse soldier is a soldier that rides on a horse. No, it's not really like that. So I spent 25 years in the Army Special Forces, better known as the little hat we wear called a Green Beret. And if you're of an older generation, you remember the movie John Wayne. They were very kind of popular-esque in the Vietnam War. We had songs. The number one song in 1967 was a ballad of the Green Beret. There was the G.I. Joe action figures that most of them were Green Berets with Kung Fu grips. There was bubblegum trading cards. We were the Navy SEALs like you hear today. But back then it was about Green Berets. So I joined. Uh, I went through the training, which is about two years worth of training, learned another language. And I went to Fort Campbell, Kentucky, as part of the 5th Special Forces Group. And then 9-11 happens. Our specialty is unconventional guerrilla warfare, sort of like what you're seeing in Ukraine, right? We're all admiring this resistance of the people and the husbands leaving their wives at the train station to go fight. Well, that's what we do is we train people to resist oppressive governments or security forces or whatever, you know, mafias or whatnot. So after 9-11, America is just confused and they don't know what's going on. America didn't really understand Al-Qaeda and bin Laden. And to take the big army and big Marine Corps and send them into Afghanistan would have taken about six months. So they said, we need a small team to go behind the lines, uh, link up with resistance forces. We had trained with them and, and fought with them against the Soviets in the 90s. And it was really a one-way mission. And that's to get on the helicopter, land, assess, find a resistance commander, enable them, train them, equip them, and start fighting the Taliban. So the springtime, you're able to uh, help the big army and Marine Corps fight Al-Qaeda and the Taliban. Well, we didn't really need till the springtime. We started with about 300 horsemen the first week, and we raised a horse cavalry of 3,500 riders and 1,000 infantry, and we defeated 50,000 Taliban in all their armor and equipment, just like you're seeing in Ukraine. Uh, less than 100 Green Berets were on the ground and some of our CIA partners. So that is where nobody knew we did that. And that's okay. And we were the same guys that went home in in May of 2002. And then basically the invasion of Iraq, we went into Iraq just like we did Afghanistan. And in the early days, it was almost over again. And we went home and then we went to Africa and we kept fighting in Iraq. And, you know, it, it just kept going for us as far as our service. So. The moniker horse soldiers wasn't attached semi to us until a gentleman wrote a book in 2007 called The Horse Soldiers. 
And Mark and Bob, who uh, Chris Hemsworth and Michael Shannon played in a movie, really only talked to the author for a day. Imagine a whole book being written about you because we're, we don't talk about what's secret, right? It's nobody's business. It's not for gloating. And so the, the book was good. Um, it didn't have a lot of detail. There was more to the story. And then it was Jerry Bruckheimer who picked up the book, turned it into a screenplay, and they didn't know who the real horse soldiers were because all the names in the book were fake names. Mm. See what I mean? Yeah. So imagine being at one time the most famous, unfamous people with movies and books and statues. And it wasn't until really we came out per se by making a brand and just telling a story. Mm -hmm. So we really have three stories. I'd like to think one was our military service in the country's time of need. We all, our average age was maybe 31, 32 was given a one way impossible mission. Uh, We embraced it, right? It was glorious. We're like Peter Pan's. Uh, We were successful because nobody thought we would be. And you don't tell Green Berets that, right? Here's a hand grenade, a box load of cash, and disappear in the mountains, and uh, good luck. We're like, awesome. This is so awesome. Um, All the way to transition. We have a lot of service member, men and women. You know, you can get lost because you have so much structure in the military. You have somebody above you, somebody below you. You need a, you have a pay problem. You go see your administrative service. You want to go on leave, you put in a form. Military is very structured, right? And the day you leave it, you're kind of on your own and, and you don't know what to do. And sometimes you get lost in that shuffle because, you know, I didn't have to provide funds. Congress did. Mm-hmm. To be an entrepreneur, you got to figure where you're going to dig that money up. So mm-hmm. that transition was difficult. And then finally, Living the American dream you've been defending. We say we're promoting democracy. We say, right, that everybody wants to come here, whether you're an immigrant, a legal immigrant, a visa holder. What is this American dream that people want to attack us for or want to come here to live? And that is literally knowing nothing about something, working harder than anybody else, and giving it a shot, right? No fear. Of failure. And so that's kind of the best story that we have about the brand. And that's why it resonates to a lot of consumers, you know, when they hear the story. If you don't know the story, you're like, eh, pretty bottle. Mm, good bourbon. Tell me again what the heck I just heard, or I'm reading on the back of the whole. So yeah, that's horse soldiers, soldiers, and now horse soldier bourbon. Delicious gummy oh. bourbon. Scott, I think that we do need to pause here just to thank you for your service. Well, I'd hand grenades, so no thank you. Truly, thank Mm -hmm. you for your service and for being an example of the American dream. Well, thank you, and I appreciate it. And, you know, but humility is also part of serving as well, right, Mm -hmm. Is, is saying thank you. And then the next part is getting back in the American economy. So when I talk to a lot of veterans, a lot of Americans are very gracious and it's a good time to be a service member, a former service member in our history. There were some bad times when it wasn't, mm-hmm. but I think the service members also need to be great Americans, right? And get back in the economy. We had our grandfathers that returned after World War II and built, you know, a great country and they had tools from the government, whether it's the VA, 
or the GI Bill or the VA home loan that really resettled America after wartime. And I think there's a chance in this generation to do it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I wanted to ask you, you know, just keeping on the good work that yeah. that your brand does. Can you share with us some of that, some of maybe the charity um, or some of the initiatives that that you do to help uplift the mm-hmm. vets? There's a few things we do. Number one is when we first started, we didn't have a lot of money. And, and you know, as a brand, especially in a spirit space, you know, people will come to you and, and ask you to donate or donate product. And there's some legal issues that we were trying to understand, but we developed one of our brands called Commander Select. And we did our very first bottle. It had a beautiful pewter label. You know, pewter at the time was not used in the industry, right? But, you know, it's very classy. And Elizabeth wanted something to be like bar jewelry. So we made a bespoke box. I didn't know what bespoke meant. I had to look it up. I thought it was BS, but there is. And we said, all right, we're going to charge $595. Why? Because that was our special forces team number, ODA 595. And we said, every one of these we sell, the money we get, we'll donate, right? Well, then people were buying the bottle, asking us to sign it and say, hey, can you come to our charity event? And will you give a bit of your backstory and we'll auction off your bottle? The very first one we did, that bottle went for $7,500. And we're like, huh? Holy bananas. Well, when you're viewed by a whole bunch of other people, then you get a them saying, hey, can I get a bottle and can I do a charity auction? So one way, you know, we were able to give back as a brand is what we made for Commander Select is one donation. Number two, we go to some of these national charities like Tunnels to Towers recently, where one of our uh, Commander Select number four edition, the 20th anniversary of 9-11, went for $75,000. So these have an impact and they're not for us, right? They're there to support the charity. And Frank Siller and Tunnels of Towers, as you know, has done a lot for veterans to help uh, rebuild their homes. Or if you're a spouse of a veteran or a soldier that was killed, they'll pay off your mortgage or build your house. So there's a lot of things. So we do these all over the country to include, you know, the golf events, um, other charity, you know, and there's a lot of, you know, cancer and everything. So we do that routinely. Next is we have a marquee adventure every year. Now I mentioned we're Peter Pan's, right? You can't get it out of us. I mean, that's why we were special forces and and we could do secret things and secret places, right? So in our very first adventure, we partnered with the Warrior Selling Foundation that taught veterans how to sail. And we're like, I want to learn how to sail. So we helped them raise some money and we bought a sail for the boat that had our very first horse soldier on the sail. And we entered a race from St. Petersburg, Florida to Cuba. And we raced there and got second. Awesome. Well, we're not very good losers. (laughs) So we said, all right, Let's work with the Warrior Foundation, and I'm going to find somebody to donate their super carbon fiber race yacht. So we did. It was 75-foot uh, race yacht. We called it the Sergeant Reckless. Out of, over it, Sergeant Reckless was a famous Marine mule that carried ammunition to a hill that was over going to be overrun. 
so that donkey on its own would go back down, get ammunition, walk back up. So it became very famous. And so we named her the Sergeant Reckless. We put a beautiful black sail horse soldier. We raised from St. Petersburg, Florida to Mexico, was leading, beating everybody until we were going so fast. We almost dipped in the water, broke the first um, spinnaker sail and almost crashed and died. And then oh. we got second because they passed us. We only had one sale, not two. <sighs> so then we decided that it was a 75th anniversary of D-Day and we wanted our kids to experience what soldiers went through through World War II. And then we discovered that they have a ceremony where you can watch reenactors jump in. So we tried to get tickets and we couldn't get tickets. And then somebody said, well, why don't you be the jumpers that jump in? So we actually went back through airborne training with our family and we jumped out of World War II airplanes dressed as World War II soldiers. And we opened up uh, the ceremonies for a million people and we jumped out of the airplanes and on the ground, we had little barrels of horse soldier and we shared them with the crowd. So that was that year. And this year, we just came back from Saipan which is a um, Commonwealth of the United States in 1944. Um, America invaded um, the Japanese-held island. Uh, there were 30,000 Japanese. We ended up losing 3,500 uh, Marines and Army. It was the biggest battle of the time. So it was a big battle that we'd forgotten. But what we wanted to do is partner with the Defense Department Personnel Recovery Agency old POWMIA agency, along with a university of archaeologists and another nonprofit called Task Force Dagger. And we dove to recover some of the pilots that were shot down in the Bay Area. So that is, you know, something that you can do to honor the promise to bring everybody home. So we did um, recover some things. They're being sent to Hawaii where their DNA tested. Once they're identified, the families are notified. They do a dignified transfer and they're reburied in their hometown. So that is Horse Soldiers' charitable side. It's just part of our DNA. Is part of our service is serving others. And it's just throughout everything we do, even in our corporate policy, anybody can do any nonprofit activity without being charged time off or leave. So that's what we do. That's just incredible. I mean, and, and I just know that that's just only a few things that you guys are doing, right? So um, it's absolutely incredible. Tell us a little bit about your horse soldier team that's out there in the market, sharing these stories, listening. You know, one of the things that I love about the stories that you share and, and, you know, when Coco and I first met, it was, well, do you know anybody that's served or, you know, and I'm like, well, of course, you know, I mean, my dad was in the military, my uncle in South Korea was a major, my brother, you know, and, and so then the conversations just go and it's, it's having those conversations again and finding that relatability. So tell us about your team that's out there spreading so the gospel. We, we discovered is we learned how to make it on one side, right? We're military. We know how to show up on time, be precise, you know, do the things to make it. But you know that making great, delicious bourbon is only one fourth of this business. 
The other half is relationships, relationships with Southern, right? And, and your distribution partners, because they take it by law, they're supposed to take it and they provide a service. And it's about people and getting to know them, right? Because they, we, we now know that there's a thousand brands, 10,000 brands, right? We were naive, but now we learn how to be a better storyteller and be a better partner. Then we learned that you have to be in front of your brand to the customer. And when we started, you know, just kind of promoting and saying, all right, so the movie just came out and we said, hey, let's do a bottle signing at one of our partners. So we found out that we can't promote it. They got to promote it. You know, so we learned our way how to navigate these tricky laws, which there are more laws than stars in the universe. But yes, we learned. And then our first bottle signing there was a 100-person crowd outside the store. The store only brought in, because they have done other bottle signings, two cases. We went through that in the first five minutes, and the people were mad. They were uh-huh. like, well, I just came to get a bottle. So next time we logged, we said, all right, can you bring in some more? Let's go to a next another location. Let's advertise and tell people we'll sign a bottle, and, and you can get to meet the horse soldiers. Then it was 100 cases. I think the most we ever did was four hours in the panhandle of Florida, 270 cases signed. And that just, and what it, wow. it ended up being was us, hi, my uncle served. Will you sell, you know, say Uncle Rick? Sure. Oh, Tell me about so where hard. Uncle Rick was. And here's a picture. Here's my picture. My son just joined the army. And it was us listening more than talking. So we found this phenomenon of just by being there, it was part therapy for them, part therapy for us. Um, Some of our guys initially were so hesitant to talk, right? Because we came from that side that we learned how to just tell a little bit of our story, but then engage people. And I think that's what a bartender does, right? You know, it's the same thing. And so we also began a series called Whiskey and War Stories, where we would go to say like a country club and the food and beverage directors like, hey, I got to get my audience to come in here. You know, they're tired of the uh, lemon meringue pie. Um, What can we do to get them in here? And we said, well, let's just say the horse soldiers will do a Whiskey and War Stories and tell you with video and photos, a fabulous adventure they'd never heard. Oh, okay. Well, those became so successful. We did it at the Dallas, you know, I can't name the specific ones, but everyone we've went to has just been a home run for the food and beverage director. Can you come back and do another one? Right. I got people that weren't here. Now they're mad. Can, and then we find out that they do have a package license. So we've, we've, we've done this around the country. I've done it for the PGA I've done it for Amazon CEOs. I've done it for the president of Walmart. People are fascinated by the storytelling. And just like this podcast, we had to start doing it virtually when COVID happened. Last night, I did a virtual whiskey and war stories for the Bush and Cheney alumni, (laughs) right? Who just want to get together in some mechanism and hear a positive story. Right. Did you get them? Did you get the bad guys? Yes. Well, how did you survive that? We did this. How did you start a business? How much money? And it just is storytelling. Mm -hmm. And you're so 
good at it, Scott. I mean, I think that I'm a clown. You have found your niche, brother, Mike. Well, and you have a lot of content to share. I think that's the biggest thing, right? There's not a lot of people that have been on these adventures and 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 just here's a grenade, here's this, go see what you can do. You know, not only was the war aspect, I spent time in Africa with doctors and vets treating rare diseases and cattle diseases. And here's a unique part. And John loves to say it. Call Jack Daniels. See if he answers the phone. Call Jim Beam, see if he answered the phone. Well, call Johnny or Scotty or Mark or Bob or Billy, right? And you can come see us. And yes, I will go toe-to-toe with the most ninja bourbon aficionado expert from the world, you know what I mean, that likes to get you and gotchas, and at the same time, make them laugh and make them feel, you know, important and invited as well, because we don't wear it heavily on our sleeves as you can tell we're very uh humorous lot of friends yeah i absolutely love that you know for our listeners you've mentioned the name coco quite a few times <laughs> but we don't know who that is so I don't there's know. a reason for that right okay. <laughs> <He's secret. laughs> well we Maybe all we, just give we a all served <laughs> our country at different levels right and you know at some positions in governments nobody knows who you were. And, you know, John is also very quiet and humble. Remember, this started as him being a mentor to a service member, him sharing how to start a business, right? How to invest, how to run your books, how to get legal started, all of this. John wasn't always and had no desire to be the front person of this, Right. So he's very comfortable. But if you know John, he's the one you want to talk to because it is literally your uncle, right? At Thanksgiving. But it not is not that he's going to listen to this episode. He is Uncle Buck, <laughs> right? You love him because it's wisdom meets humor versus we're not having enough fun. Let's go have some fun. And, you know, but. You know, what people don't see on the backside of Coco is, one, he doesn't want recognition, right? Number two is he is a very private person. I think, you know, a lot of people, when they see you, even if you see celebrities out and about, they kind of want to be a little autonomous as well. So, you know, it's a lot of energy to go out and meet and talk to people. And sometimes, eh, I kind of want to be over here. Like today, I, you know, laid all my sod. I'm looking down at my beautiful yard. You know, it's a simple pleasures. I've done everything in the world a person can do. And guess what? I had so much fun laying my own sod today. I am so proud of that. It was awesome. That's wonderful. Yes. And I, I think that's what makes you guys, the Horse Soldier Bourbons, you know, the entire team, Elizabeth, uh, just Let's so talk about un- Elizabeth. So unique, but you guys all are just so personable, right? Well, our like kids work here, right? Yep. And I mm-hmm. even have a bottle in here. That's why the labels are crooked, right? Um, Elizabeth is Snow White. If you haven't met her, maybe you look at our YouTube channel and you see just this beautiful lady, elegant, regal, speaks well and slow and softly, grew up in Toronto. And we're the seven heathen dorks, you know, that is all over the place. And she's tugging our ear saying, stop. She has built a beautiful brand. Um, Anywhere from our... um, distillery here in Tampa, St. Pete, to what we're building in Kentucky, 
to the beautiful bottle, uh, all the hidden meanings in there. She did it all herself. Amazing. And, you know, sometimes we get carried away with a curiosity of the horse soldier and the horse soldier soldier story that we forget how important the families are in this business and how important, but it's also not great to say this is a service better known business. This is not a female because she's an executive. She started this business too. This is a family of families business, just like Southern, right? It came with a group of families that came together and built a business together. And now your kids are involved as well. That is the ultimate success of our brand is we've now created a legacy and an enduring business that our children can inherit one day because you can't give them a footlocker full of war medals and boots, mm-hmm. right? Yep. You can give yep. them an emerging brand. Look at Brown Foreman, look in Sazerac mm-hmm. family. Look at some of these families in this space from distribution to retail ownership. It's, it's legacies of families. And that's what also captivated our curiosity. Absolutely. And speaking of metals, can you share on the latest? Ah. I think um, I, it was probably announced today or yesterday. So officially. metals, metals are very interesting, right? You know, they used to give them to you after you did something great and you would get a hearty handshake from the commander and they'd pin something on your chest and then nobody could know about it. Well, I like to say that our bourbon has won more medals than we have in combat. (laughs) And today it was announced that all three of our primary products, the one double gold in San Francisco. So for those that know, San Francisco is pretty much the premier tasting event. Uh, You have panels of well-known mixologists, distributor representatives in the industry. You know, all of these people have great noses. So, you send in your, your samples. They then put it into a nondescript numbered bottle. They send it into a panel. And if they all sip it and taste it, if they all agree that it's gold, then you win a double gold. If one, if there's 10 judges and one judge says it's only worth the silver, then it's a gold. You know what I mean? So there's this criteria. So to win double gold across that, you know, it just shows you that a bourbon doesn't suck, mm-hmm. right? And I like to say four out of five dentists really highly recommend our bourbon. So apparently judges in San Francisco uh, like it. We've done the, you know, every spirit contest you could send, you know, we've always done well. And what that does is just tell the consumer, right? Because people will buy a bottle once. Mm-hmm. Well, they buy it twice, Will it become their favorite bourbon, right? That becomes the golden arch of, you know, I love horse soldier and only horse soldiers. Matter of fact, I got the horse soldier brand here. I'm going to go see him in Kentucky. That's when you start knowing that your brand, you know, will be that Jack Daniels old number seven, you know, that your grandpa still probably has an old bottle of. Mm -hmm. And so we're very proud of that. Well, congratulations. And I know Bridget knows a thing or two about these tasting competitions because she served at the judge. So Bridget, that's a big deal, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Anytime you can win a award, whether it's at San Francisco at the tag awards, Mm -hmm. even at the the now Ascot awards, for instance, um, I can tell you that the folks, you know, one of them, we work so hard behind the scenes to really, um, you know, put our noses in really light up our taste buds, 
and have a lot of spirited conversations around each and every spirit that we judge. And it is completely fair. And I want to congratulate you on double gold. That is not a small thing. So oh, across all you. three, across all wealth. three skews. That's, yeah, that's incredible. Good. It is incredible. Here's something Absolutely. funny. You want to hear something funny though? So we had the Grand Prix race here in St. Pete, right? And some of the Olympians who just came from the Winter, Winter Olympics came and uh, we're kind of in the back area joking and everybody's looking at their medals and checking them out. I'm like, eh, we've got more gold medals than you do. So it's kind of just, you know, it, it is something to be proud of. Uh, we do like to wear them all around the office. You know what I mean? So we're like, you know, all kitted up with our. our oh, they whiskey. send you actual medals. Yes. Whiskey they, yeah. medals. Yes. Come on. That's great. We're that childish that we want the medal. You know what I mean? First thing Absolutely. you do is do it. But, um, you know, remember, there's is we didn't know this. We were so naive when we got into this business. OK, you from your side, see it every day, a new brand, hopes and ambition. And then you taste it and you're like, or you're like, wow, this is delicious. But what kind of horrible story is this? You know what I mean? I uh, sold my company for a billion dollars and now I'm just going to, you know, make a lot of money and whiskey like Nobody cares, right? Or I'm celebrity de jour. And uh, I'm pretty sure some of these people don't actually make the bourbon. I'm actually really, really pretty sure. Um, so how do you know it tastes good until you taste it? And then how do you know it tastes good if you're a bourbon and it's four years later? So it 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 is a little nerve wracking because what if it did suck? What if we got a please don't apply ever again and send us this bourbon notice? So we have to be very fortunate and we're very honored, but we're not done yet, right? You just can't sit back. And, you know, we've got a long road. We see ourselves as being a hundred year brand. And will this same bourbon that won today be the same bourbon that wins 10 years from now? That's what we want to get to. Well, Scott, on behalf of the Served Up family here, we want to thank you again for your service, for creating a yummy bourbon. It yes. is absolutely delicious. I love it. We have a bottle here at home. I think that it's a beautiful expression. So congratulations mm -hmm. on that. Thank you. We, we truly hope that you come back on Served Up. And we just want to wish you some great health during this time and just a lot of peace. Thank you for all the good work that you do you. and that your team does. Thank you for hosting us and giving us a voice, right? Small brands need you know, some, some time to tell people and people I'm lucky that the craft beer industry have now created a lot of young adults who are now enjoying a wide variety of spirits now too. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. So, um, you know, that I'm very happy for. Absolutely. And, um, I'm sure we're going to get a lot of requests for, um, Whiskey and wartime stories. I love it. Whiskey so and war stories. Yeah. Any of our beverage directors out there, give us a call. We'll get you all set up. I'm super excited to attend one myself. So thank, thank you so much, Scott. Thank you, everybody. You have Be a safe. good rest of your evening. Thanks for listening. Served Up is brought to you by Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. Produced by Zunu.online. Music by We Kill the Lion can be found on Spotify. Make sure to subscribe to be notified of future Served Up episodes. Cheers! <laughs>